I, I know the, the subject of of suffering can be heavy. I don't really I don't want to do it in in a way that comes across as a heavy subject because I really want to to do what he addresses and basically how how to see how to see suffering. Yeah, I don't know if I, I couldn't. These screens, the reason why they wouldn't work, um, Nathan's got the, the tablet was dead. It was uh, it was unplugged, so it was totally. And I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it loaded up to change it. So we need to yeah close some of those right here. How, how do how do we use? This way, because your podium is kind of blocking. Yes, the short, the vertically challenged people have it. There you go. That's better. Thank you. I mean, kind of angling for those people over here can see too. All right, it's relatively will suffice, I guess. One thing he points out in chapter eight, very a number of helpful things, and I I do kind of veer a little bit off the way he says sometimes, so not everything I say may be found in the book, but um, he really addresses great things about the, the, the suffering thing is how the, the obvious thing is that we all have suffering in common. I mean, he points, to, he points to that as we're brothers and sisters in Christ and how do we use those opportunities, those moments to, to edify each other and especially in this area of, of ministering to each other, counseling each other, uh, giving advice to each other, to do that in the midst of, of suffering. So just underlying suffering is, is part of it. Yes, it's, and it's easy to talk about suffering at 30,000 feet, you know, you're way up here, you're talking about suffering, and you're in this form of platitude, you're talking about big, big principles. It's another thing to live it and to, to talk about it in the, in the midst of it. And he says there, there's one thing in the midst of, you know, all human suffering, the, the one common experience that we share uh, is, is suffering. And the one common solution, of course, is the gospel. Common experience is not the answer to suffering. Common gospel is the answer to suffering. Now, that's important as we walk through this. It's not – we have suffering in common, but we're going to talk about some of this and how, how do we answer in a practical way. How do we respond in a practical way? What do we say? Just, just this past um, Wednesday night at small groups, an older gentleman was there for the first time. He's just sharing. He lost his spouse, and he says, you know – he shares some of his grieving about people say, I understand, but they, unless you walk in my shoes, you don't understand. And I understand his grieving part of that, but how do you respond to someone in those, in those kind of times? What do we say? How can we respond? So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But the closest what, – what is really – one thing that I find significant is one of the, the strongest bonds are forged in the midst of suffering. I mean – Suffering together, that, that's why guys who went through war together just are friends for life because there's, there's just a, such a strong common bond of common suffering that brings people closer to each other. And that should be the truth as brothers and sisters in Christ because we do share that, and it should draw us closer to each other and not divide us up. The greatest gospel opportunities up and down are found in the midst of suffering. I mean some of the greatest opportunities to, to minister to someone the gospel is in the midst of, of suffering. Uh, the ground for growth is established in the midst of suffering. I mean, that growth takes place in in the midst of of suffering, and then put down the truth of the word of God comes to life in the midst of suffering. So, 
this truth about suffering is just it's a wonderful workroom is the word I think he used in his book and later on in the chapter it's a great workroom to to uh, minister to grow to see the gospel and to, to grow stronger together I can think many of many experiences where some of our closest friends in the ministry are there because we shared uh, in their suffering um, one first one comes to mind is one of the uh, one of the couples that comes here and visits us several times already in the states we're so close one of the reasons why is because Jane walked her through her mother's death when her mother passed away and was, was dying, and this young this girl is in her early 30s, so she, her mother passed away somewhere in her late 20s probably, and so she's she just she just walked grieving, walking through, watching her mother pass away and die, and Jane was there for her, and that's that you can't no matter what happens 20 years later, you're, that's that's part of that common suffering and walking through and growing through that process. So yes, we can look at suffering and say sometimes suffering is self-inflicted. Sometimes suffering is the result of poor decisions. Sometimes suffering is due to, to fallen, to just fallen man, sickness, and uh, the, the the sin, sin nature or the uh, sinful state of man that just has has permeated life and has brought death into death in this world. So there's different reasons why we suffer. That's not the the issue. The issue is how do we walk through through suffering together. I'll put a question mark here, and I'll probably come back later to some of these questions, but why is it important? Why is it important to cultivate an environment where we can, um, where suffering can be shared? Why is it important to, 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 to be in, a, in an environment where suffering can be shared? Because we, we live very superficial relationship lives. I mean, we just do. American society breeds that because we're always on the run. We're always running to the next thing. We're, we're never there long enough. We're never sitting down long enough for someone to get past the sports questions and the weather questions. We're not quite long enough to get there across that hump to get to the real questions. I can tell you how many times we're at dinner with somebody and it's the fourth hour. And I'm thinking to Jane later, why did, why did they wait till 11 o'clock at night to ask that question you know, or to open up? That issue. Whenever they they've been here since six, well, it takes it takes that type of time to, to kind of unfold those layers. The reality is, a lot of our relationships are not that deep in terms of the time we spend with each other, and they don't get deep enough because we don't spend quite the time long enough to get to that other layer where, man, this is where this is where it's tough, and 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 sharing that. So, put down. What does the Bible say about suffering? One, we learn that God is sovereign over all suffering. And I want to – God's sovereignty and suffering is, is, a, is a delicate question, and I want to address it in, in a couple of different ways. I say it's delicate because you can – we've got to be careful to understand that God is, God is not the author of suffering. So it's careful to go into someone in a suffering situation and say, well, God is, so, is sovereign – but don't go I, – I wouldn't feel comfortable going as far as saying God orchestrated the suffering. There's a different, there's a different way of, of describing that. When I, when, I view God's sover, when, God, when I view God's sovereignty over the affairs of men, I focus on God's eternal sovereignty, his eternal purposes, and that he will accomplish and fulfill all things for, for his good. I put Ephesians 1, the one we talked about, um, that we're predestined according to his purpose, that we're – for, um, according to his purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will 
uh, that he who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In other words, God has God is going to fulfill his purposes according to the counsel of his good will. The fact that God is sovereign over, over the suffering of man in no way makes it purely a spiritual matter. And what I, what I mean by that is you walk into a suffering situation and you're going to spiritualize the, the, the situation and, and in doing so minimize the, the real pain behind it or present it in such a way as if well, we're not allowed to grieve over it because you know what God has the eternal purpose in it. We should rejoice in that or we should contemplate that. So there, there's certainly um, – when, you, when you're walking into the question of God's sovereignty and suffering – I, I look at it from a from a big picture perspective and say God's going to fulfill his purpose. And I don't, I don't claim to understand what he's doing here. I don't claim to know why this has happened. I don't claim to say that God desired this or God purposed this, God orchestrated this. Now I understand how you word things has has its own significance. God is nevertheless sovereign. But when you look through scripture, there's a number of things that come to mind to me. That, that I, I was thinking about uh, you know, God describes that we are in the time of the Gentiles. Does it mean that God's not sovereign? No, God is sovereign. But like when you talk about, like in Luke 21, he says, you know, Jerusalem is going to be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. You know, there is a time right now, God describes this time period as the time of the Gentiles. Does it mean that God's not sovereign? No, it doesn't mean God's not sovereign. What it means is for right now, for a time, it gives the appearance that they have free reign as to over what they're doing, but he's going to bring an end to that. You bring Daniel chapter 2. The revelation of Daniel 2 and the statue is the same thing. At the end, he's going to replace these earthly kingdoms when their time is done with an eternal kingdom that will overthrow the others and establish in his eternal kingdom forever. The reason why I say that is because there is there, – there is, we are in a time where God has is allowing suffering and sin and the devil to do – to act – the adversary to act in, in ways that he's not what – what does the Bible say about Satan, the adversary? He is not bound, right? Because someday he will be. He will be bound. So right now he is loosed. Uh, think of Job. Would you want to say that? Would, did God orchestrate that Job's family died? Well, if you read the, if you read Job, you don't. You see that God what? God allowed Satan to function with certain boundaries. Was God still sovereign? Absolutely, he's still sovereign. Did, did Satan work under? Did Satan work only with the permission and authority of God? Yes, he did, but he still – God gave him certain boundaries in which he could operate, and, that, and then when he wanted to do more, he had to come back to God and say, can I do more? Can I now touch him physically? He says, yes, but don't take his life, and he – and I like that because in, in James 5, when he talks about, talks about um, Job, as a matter of fact, he says, you heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. In other words – in describing Job's experience later on in James, he says, you see how Job persevered in the midst of the suffering. Why? Because you see the end that God intended with that suffering. But nevertheless, somehow, it's still uh, we, we see the adversary acting and, and uh, bringing devastation upon, upon his life. Does that, does that make sense? When I'm, when I'm trying to, when I'm trying to – I think, I think we've got to be careful – and and simply saying that in God's sovereignty, He orchestrates every action of man. Because you have to balance that out with God cannot be the author of sin. He cannot desire sin. He cannot desire wrong. He cannot look upon it. 
He is holy. He cannot be in his presence. So we've got to be very careful when we're saying, does God orchestrate the steps of man? Of course he does, but he functions with certain – somehow the God the, – the word of God still balances the idea that man for the time of the Gentiles is able to do certain things that God someday is going to bring it into. And he can intervene sovereignly whenever he wants to. And there's times where we suffer because we've made wrong decisions. There's times that we suffer because he's chastising us. There's times that we suffer because we're suffering at the uh, – because of our own doing. But there's also suffering that comes because of someone else's wrongdoing, the suffering that comes about from just the nature of sin and the fallen man and, and suffering because physically our bodies are, are falling apart. So all these things are also reality. I just think that when we talk about God's sovereignty, I think that we need to be careful in how we describe it and, and not go beyond trying to – I think what, what happens in my view is that we want to so understand God and everything that we, we, we try to parse it down to every little jot and tittle. In reality, we can't understand God. And I think sometimes we want to understand, and, and sometimes we make the mistake of walking into someone's suffering and saying, well, God desired that. You know, you got to be very careful in that kind of wording. In, in school once, uh, someone was teaching our kids Bible class, and he, he told the kids, God rejoices in sending people to hell. Well, if you take a big picture that everything that God does, God fulfills his purpose and rejoices in doing so, well, that sounds that sounds very up here. But you, you don't want to say on that level to say that God rejoices in people. Hell, no, you don't want to say that. But then you're going to say, well, it satisfies his righteous. I, th- I think sometimes we get too far down in that discussion. We try to understand it. And in doing so, I think we do a travesty to some of these truths. We just need to be careful in that. God is sovereign. He could, When we pray, he can sovereignly intervene and heal whenever he desires to. I've seen, I've seen miraculous healings. I mean, just the other day, we bought um, a uh, leaf grinder for a, from a family downtown, and he was describing how the Lord just miraculously healed his son. He was born with a double joint, like a, like a fake, not, not a fake twin, but like double bones. Bones from a twin. From a twin. Inside of him. So he had a double femur or something like that. I mean, it was radios and everything. They went back, UVA. They had to come back later. Next thing you know, next x-rays, not a thing was there. It was all normal. I mean, God can't. Yeah, they were, they were getting ready to do the surgery and, and did last-minute radios to check out. I mean, x-rays. X-rays. Yeah, you. I've seen, I, I tell you, I've seen some beautiful testimonies of men who were miraculously saved. God can intervene and do that. And when, when tragedy happens to my life, the, the right question is not, why did God do this? But what is God doing through this? If I start asking why, I start trying to say, did God orchestrate it? Did God desire it? Did God want this? Did God Focus on what God is, is trying to do through this, knowing that he will fulfill his purposes. And he'll take, he'll take – I know people use often Joseph as an example, that they desire to do good and God turned, you know, made it right. And God will do that with, with everything. And that's just – that's the beauty of, of – of trusting in God's sovereignty is knowing that he'll take every wickedness and make it right. And that he'll take what where man seemingly, yes, he plans, he does his own plans, but God's going to fulfill his purposes. But in the meantime, man's making his plans, but God will fulfill his purposes. So some of the things we that God says about suffering, one, God is sovereign over all suffering. God is good. We cannot wrongly think that a good God would never allow a person to suffer. In other words, it's wrong for us to think that a good God does not allow suffering. God is good. Um, we continually see in Scripture how a good God is in the midst of our 
most painful experiences. Um, and then God has a, has a purpose for our suffering. God has a purpose for our suffering. Regardless of the source of our suffering, God has a divine and God has a sanctifying purpose. It doesn't matter if we're treated unfairly by a coworker, if we're battling cancer, whatever we're, we're battling and dealing with, God has a, a, a sanctifying purpose for, for that. And my concern in the midst of suffering is not to understand why God would allow it, but to understand how God would sanctify me through it. Knowing that I rest in the fact that he'll ultimately fulfill his purposes, and that's, that's the beauty of it. So I put down, I put down why is a shallow question. When the deeper question is, is what is God going to do in my life through it? So just, just learning to ask that, 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 that question. Different passages here. Romans 8. Um, I was going to kind of time we have. But Romans 8. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, they're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. And the, the the phrase here in that purpose is that if, if indeed we suffer, which means there's an intended suffering to share in the sufferings of Christ that we may be also glorified together. So I don't know if in, in this group here that we're, we're – I, I think as a, as a young believer, it's probably shocking that man – that a believer suffers. That's probably part of it. I think us at our level, that's probably not the question that we're asking ourselves. I don't think we walk into life thinking we're not going to suffer. But nevertheless, when it happens to us, we still kind of question it. So, I mean, we understand that they're suffering, but still somehow but understanding here that we're called to share in his suffering. Uh, we're not going to be uh, – I like what he says to the disciples about you're not going to be treated better than I was treated. <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we want respectability. We want life. Um, we want comfort. We want assurances. We want guarantees. We want safety. We want all these things that – not only are we not guaranteed them, part of second for Christ is turning away from those things and walking in faith and walking in truth. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, as well, it says um, talks about now the comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. So he talked about two things here, and we talk about this in just a minute. The identifying with um, how to bring comfort to someone in their suffering. So there, there, there is, he says, he comforts us in our tribulation so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, what, what were we comforted by in the midst of our suffering? What brought comfort to us? Now think about that a little bit whenever you're, when you, you see someone else suffer, does, does it bring comfort to you to know that they also suffered? Does it bring comfort to you to say, well, you know, yeah, I, I, I know how you feel because I lost my mother as well. Well, you know, the reality is that doesn't really bring much, much comfort to that person. Now, it might help them understand they understand what I'm going through, but real comfort comes from pointing them towards who? Towards Christ. It doesn't come from saying, yeah, I've got the same experiences. Now, the fact that we do means we understand. The fact that we do means we're sympathetic. The fact that we do means we can point them to Christ the way that we turn to Christ. So that whenever – so the, the key there is not to say, well, you know, I went through that hard time too, so I understand what you're going through. The key is I went through that hard time too, but here's what got me out of it is I found my peace and comfort in Christ, and here's how you can do it as well. That's the, that's the complete answer to that, to that question. I do have experience in praying for my father passed, 
friend at church, and I was in a fit for her about it because I know her personality was kind of humorous in some ways to me. But so the, the, when I got back to France and was sharing with her, and she had lost her father, I started to share, and then she, the rest of the entire time, talked about how she lost her dad. <laughs> and it was like you know five years earlier. Uh, I was I didn't that didn't upset me because that's how she is. But I did think, you know, I she needed to be quiet. And it was kind of like you know, your turn to share. You know what I mean? You're the one that just came back and lost him. You know, three days ago. You know, so sometimes people do. Yeah, talk it's not it's not it's not the we time. Don't talk so much to let them know that we know but allow them to share what they're experiencing, even if you have experienced the same thing. I don't know why we all have a natural tendency to want to up one somebody on everything. You know, there's always the up one thing. And so that's why I heard one, one, one comedian says, I want to be an astronaut. No one could up me on that one. You know, I mean, I, but so there's a suffering. Oh, yeah, I also suffered. You know, you thought that was bad. You know, I, you've been out of job for a month. I was out of job for two months once. You know, oh, you were down with it. I had that and that at the same time. I mean, we, we kind of all, I don't know, for some reason, does that need to, to, to put those scales or, or – because what it is is that the flesh naturally wants to put himself forward a little bit. But I want to just finish what he's saying in the verse 2 and verse 5. He says, we, we read the ones that talks about um, comforting others. He says, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. And so our, our consolation is found in our salvation. It's found in the person of Christ. And that's what we direct people towards too. Not, not my own strength, not my own ability, not my own... You know, experience not. It's simply that point them back to the person, to the person of Christ. There are different reasons why we suffer. Put them down here, and he goes through some of these. One, why we suffer because we live in a fallen world. There's disease. There's natural disasters. There's uh, it rains on the on the just and the unjust. We suffer because of our flesh, bad decisions, bad choices. We suffer sometimes at the hands of others. Uh, how many parents made bad decisions and the kids had to pay the price for it? How many fathers were not responsible uh, and because of that the family's going to pay the price for it? Sometimes as simple as, you know, one day uh, John Chris is at the, you know, enjoying the fame of, of touring. Next day he's canceling all his touring because of all the sexual improprieties that he's admitting to. And, and you think that impacts his, his parents are so proud of him and his Next thing you know, it just, it just spills over to every aspect of his, of his life and everyone around him. And many people are going to suffer around him. All those that were being paid around the tour, well, they just lost a job for the next. I mean, people are going to suffer around him for, for, for that. And that's not a condemnation on him. I'm just saying the reality is every time we suffer sometimes at the hand of others because of their own wrongdoings and own, own decisions. We suffer because there's an adversary. That's reality, too. We do have an adversary. Uh, that's why the picture that's given about him being tied and bound and thrown away means he'll no, no longer have the ability to uh, have those fiery darts we see also later on in Ephesians. So, and sometimes we suffer as part of God's divine purpose. God's, God does bring suffering into our lives to purify us, to uh, chastise us at times. And there's times when there's suffering. I ask myself, Lord, are you trying to tell me something because I've been I've been neglecting you? So there's part of that of course as well so how do we how do we identify identifying with suffering I don't know if you felt this way he asked a couple of questions I thought were interesting he said have you, have you ever felt like there are two different people the private sufferer 
and the person who is known by the people around you. How many people suffer in silence, suffer in quiet? In other words, they walk out and the person you see on Instagram, the person you see on Facebook is not the person that goes home and that grieves in the middle of the night because they're, they're grieving, they're suffering. Has your suffering ever diminished your desire for personal worship? Has your suffering ever diminished the, your desire for the teaching of God's word? For the fellowship of believers? Have you ever been put off by people's quick suggestions, people's wrong assumptions, and people's biblical platitudes? Of course, we all have at one point or another. I mean, there's been times I've come here and on my mind I've got things that grieve me that are heavy and I walk around. Well, my wife says I don't hide it very well. I probably should do a better job of hiding it. But you walk around reality, there's just heaviness of heart. Uh, you're going through some suffering. You're going through some doubts. You're going through... Um, and what I mean suffering, when I talk about just loss of a loved one, we're talking about the human plight that is one that is of suffering. So there is that that weight that we carry and and there are many challenges to that but we all can i think we could all can identify at one point or another we fall on these you know that's why sometimes we don't say anything we say something and someone's gonna have a quick answer well just trust god well yeah you know that's people i know what you're talking about i've gone through that already they kind of shut you off right away and you didn't really want them to actually you didn't want their advice you just need somebody to listen at that point in time Suffering, I mentioned this again, he says, I like this term he uses, suffering is one of the greatest workrooms where God does all his sanctifying, where God does his sanctifying work in our hearts and minds if we would let him. It's really, it's an amazing thing. Suffering, suffering will be this magnet that will either be a, a, a positive one that will draw the negative to the positive and, and just draw you to Christ. Or it'll be that negative response, and I'll push away a negative experience and, and make you run towards God. I have you ever heard of people share suffering experiences that go back ten years, go back twenty years, and they're talking about but still grieving in their heart because they never let that sanctifying experience take place in their heart? Yeah, that bitter person. Well, I haven't talked to him in twenty years because what they said was so hurtful. You know, whenever this and this happened, they judged me, whatever they, whatever the rationale might be, and they let that suffering just take root. And 10 years later, 20 years later, there's no healing. And they let that suffering create bitterness, roots of bitterness, roots of discontent, separation, uh, brokenness. Or that suffering, man, they just found a refuge in Christ. They ran to the rock. They ran to the rock, and then him found found their, their solace and their, and their comfort. He talked about in Hebrews chapter 2, I think I mentioned the passage up there in Hebrews 2, he talks about being made perfect through suffering or complete through suffering or perfect through suffering. There is, there is, this, there is this perfecting nature of suffering that is, that is unique to suffering. When we see young believers come to Christ, the first thing I want them to wait and find out is how they're going to respond to suffering. I mean, there, I usually need about a three-year window to know if that salvation, is that salvation experience and testimony is going to be true. And I don't care how busy they are in church. I don't care if they're running left or right. I don't care if they're like – tell you what, people who talk spiritually always scare me because the more they talk spiritually, the more empty it is behind usually. I mean, it, it just – my experience is when people have to put forth their spirituality, it's probably because they're trying to hide the lack of it behind. And they – you're running left or right, but – the key moment for me in ministry is waiting. That first, that, that, that suffering experience. 
when the suffering experience comes in their life, how are they going to respond to it? I mean, I've heard some crazy things. Well, if, that's, if that's what being a Christian is like, ah, well, why, why me? I thought you were a Christian. Of the moment that they experienced some suffering and someone said something about it, and they, oh, that's what's being a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian. So it took you three years to experience the suffering, and when you finally faced it, you were proven to not be complete, but rather incomplete in suffering. But the other side is, is beautiful as well. And when you see someone go through suffering and, and pain and, they, and they, they, they honor God, they glorify God in the process, you're like, wow, there, there is true faith magnified. And that, there is nothing more, more beautiful than that. And it can only come in the hands of suffering. Can only come in those hands, those kind of disappointments and betrayals and and hardships. I mean, it's when you don't have a job that you know that I trust job, that I trust God for the job, right? It's not when you don't have good health that you you find out that I trust God for for health. It, it's not when you actually discover a failure here. Was that an, was that my idol after all? Was I really pr- pursuing the wrong things? And you have to go through that to to let God prove that by fire. But when He does, it's it's a beautiful thing. What he's saying, what I like about what he's describing here, Paul Tripp, is basically saying that we we are all in the same family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's not, you know, spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. We're brothers and sisters, all pointing towards towards the same towards the same Christ. Um, I put down here as I approach struggles with this frame of mind, the frame of mind of brothers and sisters. I put down. The first one I thought was really good. God sends people my way. You know, I realize as I realize that we're brothers and sisters suffering together in Christ, that we we're experiencing struggles, that we point people to Christ, not point people to my experiences and what I've gone through. We point people to Christ. One, I put down God sends people my way, not only so that they may change, but that so I might change. So do you do you view your brothers and sisters around you in that way? They're not there just so that you can change them and give them your piece of advice. But so that they can change you. And how can I foster this kind of thinking? How can I foster this kind of thinking amongst those who are around me? I would suggest by listening, by valuing others, by being intentional about putting, making others a priority in your life. As you value others, as you listen to them, as you're intentional about valuing uh, them and that relationship, by making yourself available to them, you, you demonstrate that. They're, they're contributing to your life, and they're there not just so that you can tell them what you're thinking, but so that they might also be an instrument of change in your life. Up and down, God is, the, God is the author of change. I am a brother and sister to those who struggle, uh, but only as I direct them to God the Father. I'm not the instrument of change. God is. I'm not the answer. God's the answer. It's not what my word says, what God's word says. Change is not about having the right strategies or the right formulas. Change is about having the forgiveness, redemption, and the power of God that can make that possible. And I put down God is magnified through our suffering. We incarnate truth in the midst of suffering. The most beautiful testimonies that you'll read in biographies. Why do people love hearing the stories of Corey Ten Boom is how you could go through immense suffering and yet exemplify forgiveness on the back end how is that even possible but we there's just something about that that pure gold just comes out comes out of that 
so I want to I want to give us some time here. We've got five six minutes here. So how do we do this? How do we how do we respond to to suffering and use it as a God opportunity in each other's lives? There's a natural response to suffering. Every, everyone responds naturally. There's a natural response to suffering that says no else no one else understands. No one has walked in my shoes. No one has experienced the pain that I have. And this can lead me to believe that no one can help. If no one can understand, no one can help me. If no one can understand, so no one has any, I don't want any input from anybody because you can't understand and relate to what I'm going through. And yes, there's going to be what I might call sensitivity gaps between their experience and what your experience might be. But nevertheless, our answer and this is just a, maybe on a practical side. Our answer shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be anxious. You know, I understand. I, we, and we say words. Listen, it's no big deal. We say words because we try to comfort. We say words because we're awkward. We say words because we don't know what to say. I get that. But sometimes the answer should be maybe a little more directed towards Christ by simply saying, I'll pray. I pray that your heart will be filled with peace. I pray that God would, would comfort you in these times. In other words, don't. Just just bring it back to God's ability to be sovereign in the situation and to love them through it and bring comfort to it and bring peace through them as opposed to trying to – what my natural instinct might be to say, well, I understand. I can relate to you to try to direct them towards the fact that though I haven't experienced what you've experienced, God loves you and God um, can bring comfort and peace uh, into your life. Uh, many times listening is vital and listening is better than saying – Something, and sometimes just listening, just being there for them, just say, hey, I love you. Hey, man, we love you. We want to be there for you. We will do whatever we can to help you. And, and maybe not judge too quickly if they are saying things at the hurtful moment in their life that don't line up with Scripture in a sense. You know what I mean? Maybe yeah, I, I put it down, don't overreact right. in the moment to irrational comments. Right. Don't give them grace. They might say something that you think, man, that wasn't theologically correct. I mean, I've, I've had systematic theology, and uh, you're not seeing this right. This is a discipling, sanctifying moment. And you Listen, give them, give them room. And there will be a time to come back later and help them see some truths and help them think things through correctly. Absolutely. Um, I'll put down something here. It says, suffering is not he – he writes this down. He says, suffering is not a glitch in God's plan. Suffering is not a glitch in God's plan plan can you give me an example of someone else's suffering and how their response was an encouragement to you anybody can you give me an example of a suffering something that you've seen someone else suffer and their response to suffering was an encouragement to you yes please go back for a long time that the boys lost their son Joshua to leukemia I mean I just remembered Rick standing behind the podium that Sunday morning saying 
praise God. God is good. God giveth and God taketh away. I mean, say that in tears in your eyes in the midst of this, your son suffering and dying and passing away. So, I mean, those are marking moments in my life, and I never interacted with him, but just seeing him go through that. Anybody else? And something because whenever I, I skipped to one part here because he says whenever whenever you when you make suffering about yourself then you're looking for you're looking towards yourself for answers when you see suffering as part of God's purposes then you search for Him for answers and so that's why you're able to in your midst of your own suffering reach out to others and and bless them in the midst of that have you perhaps had your own experience of suffering and how God used that in your life to grow to grow spiritually. Maybe there's an example of suffering in your own life that God used to grow you spiritually. Any example of that maybe? There's probably plenty of times where God has taught his patience, has taught his long suffering, moments where we're out of the job. Moments where we're waiting for that test, not knowing what the result's going to be, and coaching, coaching your children through that. Chloe's taken took that test last Wednesday, and here she is all. I said, "Listen, she's all nervous to take." I says, "Just do your best. Trust the Lord. There's nothing to get all worked up about. There's nothing to be all fearful about. Just and and, and let the Lord work through that. If He's going, and the Lord closes doors, wonderful. Makes it clear to you, but." So helping you navigate your, your kids going through trials and difficulties, you know, knowing how to navigate them and, and not saying, listen, I, I don't go to her and say, listen, Chloe, I've taken tests before. It's no big deal. <laughs> I took the same test she took, and I passed it. So what's the big deal? No, it doesn't help her any. Say, trust, trust the Lord in this and let him work in your life through this. So um, I'll go back to the question I said in the beginning. What's important for us is to learn how to cultivate relationships where we have that dynamic so that we're not suffering in silence so that we know how to uh, we're close enough to each other to see when someone is suffering and know how to respond to them know how to reach out to them know how to love them in the process so I think it begins there cultivating relationships where that is even possible and being intentional about doing that so maybe God would just lay that on on, on your heart today as well so let me go ahead and close uh, this time in prayer Father Help us not to see these these events in our lives as as glitches and and speed bumps in life that slow us down, but rather growth experiences. I thank you, Lord, for the the experience of sufferings I've seen when my when my father, after his car accident, was lying in bed just praising you. No, never once did he question your goodness in in the midst of that. And I just seen that through through their lives and my parents. And through others, and I just thank you, Lord, for for those those testimonies I have. Help us, Lord, to to lean and trust on you. Help us to be an element of change in the lives of others and the midst of the suffering as well, Lord. So we commit this to you. Bless the services to come. In your name, we pray. Amen. <laughs>